Morgan Falls, 32-25. 503-417-7575. Taking your reaction as well as on Twitter. KCLEEK73 on Twitter says, This was the worst ref and broadcasted game I've ever seen from the Pac-12. Well, hey. That's a pretty low bar to crack. The worst that you've ever seen. I won't say it's the worst referee. There were a couple questionables, but yeah, not, not enough to cause don't, Oregon Don't the blame game. the execution no. or the offense or the defense. Let's go with Yogi Roth and I the officials, s- and that made your experience <laughs> bad. I Holy, will say, come on. The, uh, the, the, the young man or woman running the camera... That's a tough, tough second half there. Was it? Uh, was the stadium shaking? Was there yeah. an earthquake? And like, uh, man, some conventional play actions. They would just follow the football down the field when it was still in Herbert's hands. It was pretty bad. Uh, James Crepia didn't have to worry about any of that because he was there live uh, watching the football game. And now he's joining us from Salt Lake City right now. James, where to begin from this one in your mind? Well, to me, it has to start with run defense. Uh, I know there's going to be plenty of people who want to start on the offense. Listen, folks, this is pretty simple. No matter how woeful you want to say the offense was in the first half, Oregon regained the lead. And they didn't abandon their identity to get back into it either. The defense came through for a long time in the second half. It got you the lead with a block punt and a short field there. But the run defense, this is now three straight weeks. If you want to say that J.J. Taylor is a fine back, fine. He had a big night, but he's a fine back. Okay, if you want to say that Josh Kelly was the only thing that UCLA wanted to rely on, hey, that's fine. But you cannot tell me, I'm sorry, you can't tell me that Armand Shine was going to have 170-something yards, 160 yards tonight, and that's acceptable. No matter how much Utah relies on its run game, no matter who the running back is, you cannot allow a second-string running back with 160 yards in the season entering this game to top that tonight. You can't do it and expect to win. Oops, I gotta yeah. agree with you there, James. And to be to be uh, you know honest, I think it was easy for me to to look at how Shelley played, even though not a ton was asked for him and eighteen for thirty one. But uh, Shelley didn't turn the football over. He came close once or twice, but he didn't turn the football over, and that's a good thing. But you know, and I mentioned this in the post game earlier as well, James, and I want your thoughts as well. But on paper, I thought Oregon would have a decent run defense and at times they've had a good didn't they in September and October play pretty decently against the run maybe the first couple of games like against Cal I felt like they played pretty well against the run against Stanford they held them to under four yards of carry and Bryce Love played pretty good against the run and with a Jordan Scott Troy Dye and Ugo Amadi I thought that you had a run stopping player at every level of your defense but James they certainly haven't played that way no they haven't they have, and I think a lot of it was smoke and mirrors early on. It's all what it is. They were playing, uh, you know, a Stanford team that, yeah, they contained Bryce Love, but he really wasn't. You know, he wasn't. Let's let's face it, he was not. <laughs> he was not at 100. percent Let's put it that way. Sure. That's not to take away from what they did that night, but that was that night. All right, and then Cal. Well, their their backup quarterback goes, well, I don't know if he's the backup of the starter anymore. He goes week to week, they change. But nevertheless, that guy rushes for over 100 yards. All right, well, you want to say dual threat? It's hard. Okay, and ultimately some of it was some garbage yards. Sure. But again, I get back to these last three weeks. You can't just keep doing this. You can't. And sooner or later, you have to really start to ask yourself, what is going on with this defense against the run? Now, did they come up with some big plays across and big stops, particularly in the second half? Yeah, they did. They did. But eventually, and on the night as a whole, I forget exactly. I have to go back and look at the statute exactly whether it was 26 or 29 carries that Shine ended up with. But bottom line, two of those accounted for you know, 83 yards, so you don't just throw them out the window and say they didn't happen. 
you know, they're two ginormous plays. So his numbers are a little bit skewed because of that. But nevertheless, you're still getting probably about four yards of carry without those runs. Mm. So you still have to get back to the fact that the guy who he may be a fine player eventually, but right now he was not the starter. And he came in, and he more than filled up to the void left by Zach Moss. And with a backup quarterback leading him, no less. So, who, yeah, Jason Shelley may not have turned the ball over, and he may not have had to do a whole lot. He just executed who was asked of him. Well, credit to him for that. But the backup running back, who no one really had the time to prepare for, like we talked about before the game, no one had a chance to prepare for that this week. Utah didn't have a chance to prepare for that this week. Not in earnest. He goes out and has a huge night. Well, some of that is scheme, and some of that is a credit to him, and some of that has to fall on the fault of the defense. The defense did not stop the run yet again against an opponent who, frankly, it probably, when you know that they're going to lean on the run that much, it's, inex- it's inexplicable to me that, that he was able to have the kind of night that he had. If you're going to be devoted to it, you know, and, and if you're going to be uh, taking pride in stopping the run, how has it happened now three straight weeks? Yeah. Hey, James, yeah, Armand Shine. 26 carries, 174 yards, a 42 long and a 28 long. That's what you're talking about. And I kind of flip it over to you talking about the defensive line. But, yeah, we had some – I mean, Oregon had the injuries. We talked about Stephen Jones going to left tackle. And Throckmorton's got to go to center. And Lemieux's got to make sure he stays – Warmack. I I mean, you saw it from your level. I'm watching on TV the breakdowns and pass protection. It was every other pass play. There was some breakdown. I don't know if it was scheme or communication, but there was a untouched rusher half the time, if not three out of four times, putting pressure on Justin Herbert. There was a lot. There was. There absolutely was. And some of that is what Utah does. Um, and then talked to a couple of offensive linemen after the game about that. And Calvin said, yeah, that a lot of it, especially early on, but I think it was the first sack, uh, I saw you know two linebackers just come right down the middle. Yeah. Um, where one was taken on by Verdell, credit to him, for putting up a fight, but the other one has a clean shot on just on that play. Uh, then you have, all right, well, the sack fumble on the second drive. It's pretty well protected as a whole, but I think it was Tony Brooks James, wasn't that, who was trying to pass block there, and man beats him and gets a sack, and there you go. It's off the races. It's a fumble, and Utah recovers inside Oregon territory. Well, again, it's really hard to – I know everybody wants to – bash the offense or do this or that, it's hard to really put a lot on Justin Herbert when he was getting pressured quite as much right. as he was, in particular in the first half. Hard to really put a lot on the coaches when, when they can't go out there and block for them. Uh, now, if you want to say, well, they should have done more to you know, put them in six or seven or eight-man protections, well, all right, you can get into philosophy, but it, sooner or later it gets back to, is this what Oregon does or not? Um, look, they stepped to the run game early on. There wasn't a ton of success. Eventually they broke free for the run later on. So it's really hard to knock that philosophically speaking. Travis Dye came in for an injured C.J. Verdell, excuse me, and, and he delivered in the fourth quarter, helped deliver the lead. Ultimately, there's a whole long list of injuries after this one, guys. Uh, we got a little bit of an update from that from Chris Ball after the game. This is a pretty long list now, and mm-hmm. there's going to be varying seriousness, but there is a long list of injuries after this game yeah and uh, you know i encourage the audience to be following you on twitter at james crepia and i'm looking at your piece right now with that 
uh, injury update, and like a lot of guys are featured on here, as you said, James. I mean, Habibi Lakio, who we don't see very much anyway, but he's got a leg contusion. We saw Stephen Jones go out. I mean, Verdell uh, got dialed back significantly as this game went along. You know, what can you do to update us? Let's just start with uh, the guys on the offensive side of the ball that are banged up, uh, Verdell and Jones sure. in particular. Yeah, so uh, without speculating too much, because there just wasn't a lot of detail, it was just, you know, Mario was just rattling off names. Um, but clearly, Verdell's out. You have to think that it has to go back to the hip again that was suffered against Washington State. Um, this has been a couple of weeks now where he's gone down on runs or pass blocks, whatever the case was. I think that's his issue. The late confusion to Cyrus would be a week, you know, I believe, happened on special teams. He was walking out on crutches after the game. Certainly not a great sign, though it doesn't necessarily mean something's broken or fractured. It just, you know, that same plenty of players on crutches or walking boots, and it doesn't mean much, but that's something you want to see. Uh, so Cyrus is on crutches. Uh, trying to remember now, Stephen Jones, I had to come out earlier on in the fourth quarter, and you saw George Moore take over at left tackle. Uh, it looked looked like a, con- uh, a concussion, certainly a head injury. He came out of the locker room very losing, was being helped on his way to the bus. Uh, so certainly not a great sign there when you're already thin. Uh, obviously, Dallas Warmack, whether it was merely injury-related or whether that was that they wanted to put Calvin at right guard at that point for the second half, not entirely sure. But nevertheless, they still, when they, when they had the chance to put Anson back in at center and you know move Throckmorton over to left tackle, they kept Jones in the game and moved Throckmorton to right guard. Uh, so not sure entirely what that is defensively. Samson New obviously comes out in the second quarter uh, following a stop there inside the 10. He came out, did not return to the game, unclear exactly what the injury was and how severe it is, but he didn't come back in. Uh, and I believe, yeah, Adrian Jackson, I think he hurt his arm uh, after recovering that fumble there on the block punt. I think that's everybody. Oregon, <laughs> <laughs> Drayton Carlberg, people Carlberg came back in. Uh, so I think that covers all the bases, but that's a long list, uh, obviously. And, again, we, we don't know exactly the severity, but it certainly didn't look very good for Stephen Jones or for Cyrus of Udiwikio in, in the initial um, glance. Hey, James, uh, uh, Neil Lomax here. Speak to the, you know, you're there uh, face-to-face on the sideline or getting the sense of why why these starts? Why the lack of a, or is it pregame warm-ups? What is it that Oregon comes out like this and then just has played, the execution is poor, these these starts first quarter into the second quarter? It's been a consistent you know, narrative here that Oregon, not just on the road, but just why are they coming out so flat? And then here's Utah. Is it a coaching thing where it's the wounded dog theory? They got their starting quarterback, starting running back out, and they just have this energy, the heart of a champion. Yeah, and, and I think it, it is definitely more of a narrative on the road in particular, for sure, in particular that it goes back to last season, obviously. Uh, but, look, against Arizona, there you could really make it about coaching, no question, because the play calling was so erratic okay. and really not warm with what they did. So that was clear. I think that was pretty obvious to everybody. With Washington State and with this, Again, you're going to say that what they deviated from philosophy? No, but they stuck to the run <laughs> in both cases. They were able to get the lead tonight eventually by sticking to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were able to get back in the game at Wazoo. So you can't really say it was coaching necessarily from a play calling perspective. Okay, well, was it merely execution then? 
well, you're going to have to take a look at very specific plays. But, for instance, like I went back last week when people were criticizing offense or play calling and say it was too conservative or this and that, looked at some of the drives in the second and third quarter and identified and said, all right, well, here were the critical plays. And we, do you want to say it was play calling? Do you want to say it was too conservative or whatnot? On these various instances, there's a missed field goal, there's a you know, third mm-hmm. down, that there's a drop pass or whatever. Well, again, do you want to fault the play call? Do you want to fault the fact that they missed the field goal and dropped the pass? Well, it's kind of a similar situation tonight, quite honestly, where, well, do you want to blame play calling just because it's the easiest thing for anybody to point fingers at without really knowing? Or do you want to say that there's drop passes, that you have running backs and pass protection that missed assignments, that you have offensive linemen who, hey, credit to them and that they're going down the depth chart and they're trying, and they are, they're trying damn hard, but there are blown assignments or missed assignments. Utah had a lot of pass rushes out there creating pressure all night on Justin Herbert. Well, sooner or later, that's not really play calls, guys. That's just, you know, sooner or later, players just got to play <laughs> and execute their assignment. So that's where I think first of all, even addressed a little bit afterwards, saying you have to say, uh, it was the play, was the call good? And if so, well, then if it's execution at one point or another, you got to find a way to get back to what the game plan was and not deviate too far from it and then get into panic mode. Then you get into scrambling. And, and there's, there's things that will start going aimlessly. I don't think Oregon aimlessly. I don't think things went aimlessly tonight. I don't. I don't. I think they stuck to certain uh, certain philosophy. And again, they got back in the game. If you want to point to anything, say the defense did a fine job for the good part of the second half there. But ultimately, Utah went right down and scored with a backup quarterback, a backup running back in about 87 seconds. Exactly right. 90, See, 90, that's, 90 that's seconds. They, they go 60 yards. You're right, James. 60 yeah, that, yards. To me, that's the most important drive of the game, you know, when you finally go okay. and take the lead. I mean, and did, what would the coaches and players kind of say about that drive by Utah in particular? Well, it started off with, uh, well, it started off obviously with the, with the penalty of the kickoff uh, to Brady Breeze, which, as Mario called that, a, a senseless and inexcusable penalty there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that at the 25, now you're off to the 40. So now you've got a team who's got one of the best kickers in America who already drilled the field goal going into halftime, knows that it has a relatively short field to go to put him into field goal range immediately. Right? You know you're going to tie the game almost without without even doing anything with a kicker like that. Well, you have a couple of big plays. And Tom, we spoke to Thomas Graham afterward, and they said, no, they knew that, that they had a deep threat when he got on the field, that that was somebody who they're going to be looking for. And credit to Utah for executing the play and getting in his hands. But it was nothing that they weren't expecting. Now, for fans who hear that, I know that you're not going to be too thrilled about hearing that right now. <laughs> that it wasn't like some great trickery or something that came out of you know left field that caught these guys flat-footed. No, Utah just executed the plays, dialed up the right plays at the right time, and executed them uh, on that drive. But it was tough to watch there in, in 87 seconds that if you finally get the lead, if you finally get the momentum, and it all disappears in the blink of an eye. Oh, I'm sure it was. And then, look, still had a shot offensively. Still had a shot offensively with about six and change to go. Mm-hmm. And offense that near midfield. And, all right, hey, you, you, fourth down, you throw a ball to Dylan Mitchell, and they make a play defensively to stop it. Well, uh, yeah, and later, that, that's a good point. I mean, they they had it at the plus 43, at the Utah 43, second and three. And Herbert gets sacked. And that kind of... You know, you talk about the critical plays, James, and I look at a drive when you're down four in plus territory, second and three, fourth quarter. You know, they're, they're all critical plays at that point, and yet there's the sack, which is, 
you know, fits into the narrative that it was a tough night for protection. Because now you go into third and long, and James, I mean, I'm sure you were seeing it as well. How often was Oregon in third and long in this game again? And the the couple that they picked up along the way, like was, Herbert, was Justin Herbert's extension plays right. exactly I mean, that behind the sticks like that, James again. Yeah, and then they start off that way where it's all for three to start the game, but then they convert for their next five, mm. and all four convert game on third and nine plus, or seven plus, I believe. Right. And uh, the only one they failed to convert was actually third and two, where they passed. So there's so for everybody wants to do the conservative, third and two, they passed, they didn't convert. Uh, then, all right, then they moved the sticks better in the second half, certainly. But ultimately, at the end, at the end, after getting the lead, it was penalties, where all night, neither team was really committing any penalties at all. And then all of a sudden, now you have a penalty for a sportsmanlike on a kickoff that wasn't even returned, no less. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So you have that. That's bad. Followed by, you know, but now granted, you got a holding on a wide receiver. Who's usually not in that spot necessarily, but nevertheless, holding on a wide receiver, why is that a big play? There were there were penalties there on that final possession. The re- I really about the second to last offensive possession that really were critical, really critical. And all of a sudden, you went from a night where. Utah didn't have any, and Oregon had one, and then Oregon starts committing all these penalties that ended up shooting themselves in the foot too many times there. Hey, J- hey James, I, I want to ask your opinion before we let you go about, was there a lot of head-scratching or something, in, in this case, the Sunday morning quarterbacking on, there's five minutes left, Oregon's down by four, and it's fourth and five after that series we just talked about, the sack, the deflection, so it's fourth and five. I'm sitting there in my aggressive mode. I'm going, you know what, I'd punt it. I'd punt it, put him inside the 10-yard line, Defense just stopped him. They had a block uh, punt before that, and he goes for it. What was your gut reaction at that point? We did not. We did not ask Cristobal afterward uh, uh, after the game that was going to be uh, to be something we certainly revisit on Monday. Um, here's a couple. Part of the reason why I didn't initially ask one was a little tight press conference, but two, why um, I didn't ask last. Let's remember when it came down to fourth down conversions and things like that. They're, one, they're pretty good, and two, Mario has already said throughout this season that they're going to go for it a lot. Right. So I don't think I, at that particular moment when it's like, all right, I have to ask this, I have to ask this, I just take it on the assumption in the short term that Marrow is just going to be aggressive. Okay. First off. Okay. They're already in territory. Third, and perhaps most importantly, I don't know if Carl Burke was back at that particular point. However, the punt before that, that was when he got hurt and went down. Hmm. Okay. Now, granted, Utah doesn't have to pressure. To, you know, they already got the lead. You don't have to necessarily pressure to try and block it. However, if you're already dealing with what was probably a little bit of a close kick the last time and one of your protectors was out, do you want to do that again from plus territory where you have to assume in making that decision that it is not going to be downed inside the 5 or inside the 10, that it is going to be a touchback? Yeah, that's the 20. You're right. I mean, that's... Of about 15 yards, is that really that critical to you as opposed to, or <laughs> you can try to keep the ball in the best player, the best quarterback, and, and get it to the best wide receiver? Well, and Jalen Johnson made a hell of a play. I mean, that number one, the corner yeah, came in, slapped true. that right hand around, left hand came in front, yeah. knocked that ball down. Give that kid credit. I bet they worked on that in practice because they, they had a couple of PBUs on inside slants today that, that most Pac-12 teams don't do. James, uh, you've been so generous with your time. We got Thanks, one, James. one more, uh, like, if you in 30 seconds, what happened at the end of the game? Twitter is still fired up about this. The end of the game, what's kind of going on there? All right, so bottom line, guys, if you, and, and Mario said it as much. You didn't get an explanation from the officials, but you're walking through from his own perspective. 
you had three, if you had three seconds on the clock, you can spike the ball by rule, okay? Inside of two, you cannot spike the ball and still execute a play. No matter what the clock may say, by rule, you can't do it, okay? So when they're going up to the clock, when they're running up the field trying to get one more play in there, they thought initially that the clock was round back and it was at three seconds. So they thought they could initially thought they could spike and get a play in. When it became clear to them that that was not the case, now granted, everybody's running up the field as a matter of seconds, but it became clear to the sideline that they could not do that. They were trying to signal in to Justin to run a pass play rather than spike it because they realized that they would not be able to do that and still get a playoff. So there's really no argument with that. Now, what was bad was, even if that is exactly the case, and by rule, absolutely, quarter, the game is over, okay? What's bad is, and what you can chastise the officials for is, then explain that, say that to the fans, both in the stadium and who are watching at home, on your microphone, rather than game over and start walking off the field, number one. Number two, say that to the coach, who may not know that, but Mario did. And number three, when you are walking up the field, well, what is that? When you realize that there might might just be a review, what was the rush to run out of the stadium? Yeah, they were halfway in the locker room. Asking Pac-12 <laughs> officials the, to was, communicate well <laughs> is uh, it's like asking me to do my homework in middle school. No. That's why I said they can't get out of their own way because that's something where the officials, even technically speaking, were correct the whole time. But because of their ineffectiveness of communicating it to everybody, it further feeds the perception of the complete ineptitude of referees and about this conference where they were absolutely right but you can't manage it that way and you can't communicate it so ineffectively mm-hmm. what does it mean to say two sentences by rule you cannot spike the ball inside of two seconds and execute a play by rule the game is over period end of sentence you can run run home now yeah. but you had to run so quickly and just say up oh, game over and then run off and get stopped in the end zone and told to come back. That, that looks ridiculous. Where's Ed Hockley when you need him? You know, with the lawyer-like explanations. Uh, James, we got to get you in studio for a roundtable sometime and, uh, you know, really flesh it out. We just had you on the phone for a half hour. Great stuff as always. You're the best. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Thanks James. And follow him on Twitter at James Crepia. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, go to break. Well, okay, I'm going to podcast that conversation as well. That'll be good for the fans to get to. But, uh, Neil, James uh, broke it down pretty well. And, look, I, you know, on that fourth down play, we'll talk about that on the other side of this timeout. I was sitting there live time. You heard me. I was like, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Plus territory, fourth down. What are you going to lose? You had the other side. You know, I'm processed over results, but the results didn't go very well for Oregon on that one. So, Samson's got an update. We'll hit a commercial break. We'll come back in a few minutes. More post game on 102.9 750 the game.